What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of Duck Gun Podcast. Um, guys, you're in for a good one tonight. I'm having my buddy, Josh, from Outdoor Limits on the podcast. we got some cool topics to cover. We're going to be going over some of the projects he's working on, plans for the season, um, DIY, out-of-state trip tips, and the Kansas new public land um, agenda that they're uh, that's being worked through their system right now. Um, major, some major things um, that uh, need to be talked about, and we really get in depth on it. So um, hope you guys are excited for all that. Um, but before we get into that, guys, I definitely have some updates for you um, with the PUP. Man, the PUP is running me ragged right now, trying to do the crate training. And I don't know if you guys have ever done crate training, um, but first time through it. I didn't do it with didn't do it with Chief. I uh house trained them a little bit later, but you know, this is the way to do it for sure. Um and started off, you know, the first few nights and I was getting worried, is he gonna figure this out? And then sure enough, man, he had a really good stretch and it was like five days in a row without any um peeing in the kennel until we went on a camping trip and the schedule got a little off. He got to sit on a leash tied up here and there for some of, uh, you know, just the activities. And then for whatever reason, man, he's been on, um, uh, regression and it's a little, Oh man, I'm about losing my mind. Uh, waking up every time he's, he's peeing in there, cleaning the, the, um, <laughs> the kennel out in the middle of the night, the crate, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he's got at least two baths today and, in the last 24 hours I've missed him by like 10 minutes. Like I'll be gone and I'll be coming back. And the wife said, Oh, he's good. And then I get there, you know, 10 minutes later. And in between that time, um, he's, uh, wet the kennel. So, uh, but he is, it's a, a little joy to have, have a, a duck dog again. And, uh, I'm, I'm so excited to see him grow and learn. I've started doing, um, some fun little bumpers with him, getting him, you know, uh, instilling that drive to retrieve. And I mean, he's just a natural, that's what he's bred to do. So it's, it's all super cool. Um, doing that, you know, besides that, not a lot, a lot of updates on my end. Um, super excited for season is going to be here is coming in hot and, uh, and yeah, so just keep working with chief. I do have uh, a video, um, with, the pup that I'm, that I'm releasing soon. So I do have a video with the pup. Um, we got coming and I am excited for that as well. So stay tuned for that on the YouTube channel, um, as well. And I do want to mention, uh, guys, the live stream, I'm live streaming all these again on the YouTube channel, duck gun podcast. So, um, it's growing, it's new, uh, was, uh, <laughs> inspired by Titus, MVM show him doing the videos over there on his YouTube channel. Um, so I figured, you know, I should do them myself over here and work at that for a while. So, um, yeah, let's get a quick word from our partners and we'll jump right into it. So first off, I'd like to give a big thanks to final approach guys. Final approach is the one stop shop for the hunters. They got decoys, they got waders, they got blinds, anything that you will need or desire as a duck hunter. They just about have it all. So, um, you know, we used their products last year and they were awesome. I'm super excited about, uh, the decoys again this year. And, um, you know, I'm going to be adding some of the, the goose floaters to my set and getting a real good goose floater 
set for river hunting and it's going to be great. So check them out guys over there at finalapproach.com. Also like to give a big thanks to Onyx guys. Onyx is the app for duck hunters. Um, you can pull it up. Uh, you can see the, the boundaries for public land for private land. Um, right there in the palm of your hand, you know, gone are the days of needing a plat map or, you know, going to the local counties. You can have it all right there, whether you're in state, whether you're out of state, whether you're looking at public land or private land. Um, it's just, it's just, uh, an unbelievable resource for waterfowl hunters. So check them out guys on X. Also like to give a big thanks to Weatherby guys. Weatherby has an awesome shotgun in the 18i. They also have the element. So they have, you know, they have a handful of shotguns over there. They've been known in the past as a rival company, but um, they're coming around and becoming a shotgun company as well, not just a rifle company that has shotguns. Um, I used the 18i Deluxe last year. You guys probably saw it in a lot of my videos and um, Instagram posts, and it's just a super classy, cool shotgun. I love that old style. You know, they got the new synthetic camos as well, um, and yeah, it's, it was just awesome. So check them out, guys, over there at Weatherby. Um, also, guys, if you're not over on the Patreon, um, then you need to be. Guys, I'm putting out um, some early access content. If you're getting the itch for waterfowl season like I am here before season, um, I, I just keep adding to it. You know, Before season, I'm probably going to have about a dozen hunts in there for you guys to check out. Um, and get that early access. So it'll, it'll, you know, it'll help stave off the duck depression and get you the rest of the way to season. So check it out over there. Um, patreon.com slash duck gun chronicles. Not only that, but I'll be giving away a hunt giveaway, um, for one lucky Patreon member, um, this year and, and helping you guys get to the location as well. Um, with part of that giveaway. So, um, yeah, alrighty. Um, Oh, Motion Ducks. Also like to give big thanks to Motion Ducks. Guys, it is a jerk rig on steroids. Um, you put it out there in the water. You can you can use the the regular Motion Ducks or the Ultimate, which goes from four and pretty much doubles it, and you get your decoys out there. Lifelike motion, ripples in the water. You're going to be finishing birds. It's one of the most important things that gets overlooked, over, overlooked, overlooked by waterfowl hunters is having that motion. So check them out, guys, over there. Use code DUCKGUN2020. Um, you won't regret it. Alrighty, let's go ahead and get Josh and jump into the main part of the podcast. Alrighty, what's going on, folks? I'm Jordan from DuckGun Chronicles, and I got my guest with me tonight, Josh from Outdoor Limits. How are you doing tonight, Josh? It's another wonderful June evening. Yep. <laughs> Definitely can't complain. Um, it's not going to be June much longer. Actually, you know, we should uh, tell everybody a happy 4th of July because this is going to be releasing the day after 4th of July. So we'll be in July. And really, man, the countdown is just going. And I can't believe we're less, we'll be less than two months away from getting back in the field. It's always once, once the calendar kind of turns to be July 1st, it's when the countdown really starts. And right. I've, I've noticed it through, you know, interaction on social media to people watching and commenting on YouTube videos. It's just like everybody starts thinking about hunting season once July gets here. And uh, I'm getting pretty pumped about it. I've got some stuff in the works for September that I'm pumped about. Awesome. We'll get, in, we'll get into that a little later. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you, man. It's uh, it's just unbelievable because it's like uh, you start off with the typical feelings like, 
man, season's so far away. I got so much time till then, especially with what we do, like content creation and, and all that. It's like, bam, like once you start churning on that, it's almost like, um, you can't even stop the engine once it's rolling and you might, might even want it to slow down to, <laughs> to give you a little bit of breathing, breathing room. But, um, you know, nonetheless, we'll get the season and, and it's just a freight train after that. So <laughs> it's going to come quick. Yeah. It seems like this has been the fastest off season that I can remember in a very long time. Definitely. Yeah. So what you been up to lately, man? Just working. I, uh, just redid my deck. So that, <laughs> that was a big project. We've been trying to schedule this podcast, but the deck had, had us to, we had to reschedule, um, it was a big project, man. Right, right. Well, it's uh, it's not your typical project. I mean, you're you're known for your your projects a lot on your channel as well with um, boat builds and and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but a little bit, uh, you know, I guess a more uh, real life project <laughs> that uh, <laughs> yeah. probably more um, appreciated by the wife than than working on the boat. So, got to got to is your relationship you got to build up some brownie points for season or, um. Yeah, I feel like I set a standard pretty early on in our relationship that like I get six months of the year to do whatever <laughs> I want to do. Uh, considering like this is this is my job, right? So like, right, right. I'm I'm punching the time clock when I go hunting. I'm not going out there just to spend some time in the great outdoors. And well, <laughs> I I am, but like, I guess it 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 gives us a a little bit of a different perspective when when you're punching the time clock as well. Right, so right. Like you a, get a little bit more freedom to travel and go hunting when you want. <laughs> now, there's certain dates that you can't skip out on. Like I can't just leave on Christmas, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's usually like I, I get the freedom during season, but then in the off season, I put in time around the house and spend time with my wife. So you just kind of put put money in the bank throughout the off season, so then you can withdraw it during season. Definitely, yeah. That's uh, you know, that's definitely something that. Um, you know, you got some of the, the younger guys, if you're considering <laughs> the next step in, in your life and, and all that, it's like, man, it's, it's important to like, you know, have those, um, kind of presidents set, you know, beforehand. So there's not, you know, uh, mixed expectations, let's put it that way, um, by, you know, one or both parties or else, you know, it's a, <laughs> it can be a tough thing to, to deal with and work out. So, yeah, um, I I would I would say the best advice I can give somebody who is just meeting a person that they're going to date and then possibly send spend a long term relationship or even marry, um, set the precedent right from the get go. Be like, this is something that I really enjoy to do, and I don't want to sacrifice what I like to do just because you don't want me to do it because you want me to spend time with you. It's important in a relationship for both people to respect each other's hobbies and interests and allow that to happen. So there, I've, I've heard horror stories of people who used to hunt all the time. They meet a girl and they just, they don't right. hunt anymore. So right. don't, don't, and there's some guys out there that, it that don't even want to keep hunting after that, which I, it's a, <laughs> I don't get that man. Yeah. That's not me either for that sure. Never me. <laughs> but there's some guys where you just, I mean, they're just lost, lost to the, I don't even know what, what they're lost to, but you know, they're, they're like one of the guys out there going, going gung ho after it. And 
bam, they get in a relationship. Some some guys just start dating, and after that, it's just they're man, they're gone. You see them like jump in their truck and start taking phone calls, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of yeah. see you kind of see it coming. Um, but well, you know, yeah, go ahead. it's it's a give get. You know, you gotta you gotta say here's here's another tip that I've learned. Take notes, people. This will save you one day. Let's say you're going hunting. You don't have a really good idea of what time you're going to be back, but every single time you go, they're going to say, when will you be back, right? (laughs) Give yourself an extra one to two hours. So then if you show up later than you anticipate coming back, let's say you anticipate getting back at 1 o'clock. Say you're going to get back at like 2 or 2.30. So if you do get back at 1 o'clock, you're home early. You're not yeah, yeah, coming that's a home good one. on time. And then even if you're running <laughs> a little bit late, like you're just the ducks didn't work too good in the early morning, so you're trying just like 11 o'clock, trying to fill the last couple birds to fill limits. Then when you get home later than you anticipated, you're on time. There you go. Yeah. Another way to put uh, put money in the bank. You know, I think while we're on the topic, it's like, it's, it's like the old saying, like, uh, you know, um, play hard, work hard, but it's like, you know, the same kind of idea can go to it. And kind of talked about it with, you know, what you're doing in the off season. It's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta take both things, you know, with the same amount of, I guess, passion would be the right word. Um, you know, and in those times when you are not hunting, whether it's, you know, the Saturday afternoon, when you get home at one or two thirty or whatever, you know, um, or it's the off season, you gotta, got to take it with the same level of intensity, I guess is the right word. And that's how you're going to, you know, um, take care of both ends for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I remember <laughs> early on in, in my marriage, those early September mornings by the middle of the afternoon, you are drained. Oh and man. <laughs> I remember specifically one day I went out for a teal hunt and you know, you're up at an ungodly hour and then, get home and we went furniture shopping (laughs) (laughs) and I, I was so tired that I tried my best to not be tired because I knew that if I acted tired and I get cranky when I'm tired, it's not going to end well. Right. Definitely. I I actually (laughs) keep a little caffeine shots in my truck. (laughs) You got to do what you got to do. That's hey, for sure. It'll get you through that dinner date that you got to go to. Right. And hey, nothing, nothing wrong with a little nap too. Just don't, don't make it the whole day. Like if you need like, you know, your 30 minute cat nap or, or power nap, whatever you want to call it. And then bam, you're right back to, you know, uh, the family life and, and dealing with all that. And, um, you know, but yeah, it is important to, to take all things in consideration for sure. That's, that's something I wish that I could do. I, cannot nap oh really can't do it i'm a i'm a power napper for sure i'll be out and then like just like that i wake up and i'm like you know right back in it like full speed so (laughs) i I wish i could take naps but like during the day i i can't turn my brain off to take a nap Mm. yeah so that, that can be a little rough sometimes Definitely, yeah. So we got we got we're actually on the live stream. So I should mention that um, I've started live streaming again over on the Duck Gun Podcast YouTube channel, trying to grow that, get that going. 
Um, and, uh, you know, if I'm not live streaming, I'm going to be putting the videos up just another avenue for people over here on YouTube, which he has, you know, you know, both of us from, from YouTube on our channels that we put out hunts, but this is, you know, a different space just for the podcast. So I'm excited to, to jump on here and, and get this rolling again with the live stream, but we do have a couple questions there. So, um, and it's right on topic. Have either of us hunted with our spouse? I have not with my wife yet. Um, we've talked about it a little bit. It's just not her forte. She doesn't want to be cold. Doesn't want to be wet. She doesn't want a wet dog on her. Like, <laughs> but maybe someday I'll, I'll keep work. I'll keep working on it. How about you, Josh? I've taken my wife hunting one time, and we went dove hunting, and it did not go very well. It was one <laughs> of those like afternoon, just like killing time kind of dove hunts. It didn't didn't last very long, but she's expressed interest in going deer hunting this year. So there you I go. think I'm going to take my wife deer hunting. She's not very good at shooting shotguns at things that are flying, um, but she's pretty good with a rifle. She can put some holes in paper at 100 yards. So that's good. That's not, if that's her thing, that's her thing. And uh, nice. you know, every rifle season, if we got to take her out to go shoot a deer, well, that's what we'll do. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be fun. I think uh, turkey hunting is the one I've tried to convince my wife. It hasn't happened yet because by the time I convinced her, um, we had a little one. It's like, well, who's going to get up at, you know, 4.30 in the morning and watch watch the youngster? So, um, But maybe someday we'll, we'll, we'll get uh, my wife out there. And I think a turkey hunt is a good place to start, too, with people who haven't hunted, for sure. Lots of sights, lots of sounds, really pretty easy. You can just walk to a tent set up, sit in a chair and just kind of watch everything, uh, wake up and, and hopefully have a, a long beard walk right in front of you nice and easy and, and get it done. So, <laughs> alrighty. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, some of the projects you got going, Josh. I know one I've seen on your channel a little bit. It was pretty neat. Honestly, it's, it's pretty, uh, major and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, curious about how you even got the equipment and all that. But, um, what I'm talking about is you're growing a sunflower, a sunflower field. Yes, I am. Would you like me to <laughs> well, elaborate? You got some, yeah, let's, let's hear about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so I was thinking of some ideas of how to expand hunting opportunities for myself. And fortunately, my family owns some ground and farms it. And so I took some convincing, but I got it done. And I got permission to plant a food plot for dove hunting. So I, I went and did tons of research. I mean, just digging through articles online, watching YouTube videos, just trying to figure out how to do it, what to expect when doing it, and um, kind of what equipment is going to be needed and where to go, like how to start. I mean, it's it's a lot deeper of a subject than I really thought it was going to be going into it. So um, I've learned a lot along the way, and if I do it again, I'm going to do things differently for sure. Um, but I got a one acre field that I planted with sunflower seeds. And so what we did, if you guys want to just go over to YouTube and check out the video, go ahead and do that. The whole thing's on video and I'm going to be documenting it throughout this summer and fall leading up to hunting season. I got some other stuff that I'm going to be doing with it, but started out by breaking up the ground. And then I bought a bag of black oil sunflower seed, which is a bag of bird seed. So I had two options for seeds. There's clear filled sunflowers, which was the preferred seed that I wanted to use because you can use a broadleaf 
herbicide on a, spe- a specific one, but you can there is a, a broadleaf weed killer uh, for those sunflowers. And I just I wasn't able to source them. I, I talked to a lot of seed dealers, and I mean they 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 could get them, but they couldn't get them to me quick enough for the amount of, like when I was planting a plant, and I would have gotten like ten times more than I needed. So, uh, planning, if I do it again, I'm going to order some online and then get the proper amount and have that ready because, so, so uh, what's wrong with, uh, with the bird seed? I mean, here, if you think, I mean, it. doves are birds, so it's, it's you know, math yeah. checks out. <laughs> so when you're planting a dove field and managing a dove field, you want to have really clean ground. So you don't want any grass cover. You don't really want a whole lot of broadleaf weeds. Uh, because the doves, they like to feed on clean ground, so just bare dirt. And if you get a lot of weeds and mainly grasses, I've heard that the broadleaf weeds is, you know, it, it's okay to have them, but it's preferred to have really clean dirt. Um, if you have a lot of grass, the birds can't find the, the food. And so they're, mm. they're just, uh. they're not going to scratch around on the ground through grass and thick mats of vegetation to find the seed. They're just going to go on the surface level and try and find it. So the thing about the clearfield sunflower variety is that you can use a broadleaf herbicide to control weeds and then you use a grass herbicide to control grasses, right? With the bird seed that I used, I can't use any kind of broadleaf weed killer, otherwise I'll kill the sunflowers. But there is grass killers that I can use on it. So um, I planted the bird seed. I used a lawn spreader, which I do not recommend. <laughs> uh if I do it again, if I broadcast them again, I would use one of those over-the-shoulder bag spreaders with, like, the little crank. Because pushing okay. that lawn spreader over that kind of bumpy, clot, dirt-clogged mm. ground at, with, like, 20 pounds of seed in there, it was not... Uh, a little bit of a workout? It, it was a workout, yeah. Um, same thing with spreading fertilizer. The fertilizer was worse because that was way heavier. So I broadcasted mm. all the seeds. I used one bag like one 20 pound bag for an acre and uh yeah it germinated baby <laughs> uh nice. it might be a little bit thicker than uh is suggested but that's okay i'm just feeding the birds right right um, right <laughs> so I, I broadcasted it then i put down some fertilizer which was 13 13 13 i don't really know what that means uh it's like different like nitrogen phosphorus whatever uh put that down and then we drug a harrow over the top. So basically you want to break up the ground, spread your seed and fertilizer, and then just rake dirt over top of those seeds. The seeds don't need to be down there deep. They just need like an inch of dirt on top of them. So not a whole heck of a lot. And then you just pray for rain, hope for germination. And then once they hit, you know, six, four to six leaf stage, then you want to start working on your herbicides. So stepping back a little bit, you said you had to do some convincing family farm. I mean, that land had to be used for something. So that was probably a pretty tough, tough, uh, you know, one to sell. How'd you, how'd you do that? So it, it took some coercing, if that's the right word. Uh, <laughs> my uncle was cool with it. My grandpa was really the one who had to, I had to convince. Um, but you know, just, just enough, uh, enough talking to him about it saying, you know, this is, here's my situation and 
you know it i think the big thing about it is is that field was only a one acre field so they really didn't lose much crop production ground off of that it's not like i'm taking a chunk of a 40 acre field it's literally just a one acre spot right and i think like a lot of the newer equipment they're using is a lot bigger and so it's just a little bit more difficult to farm that that part so worked out for me I keep getting pictures from my uncle and my grandpa and uh, everybody's checking in on it, seeing how it's doing. So <laughs> I'm just hoping for good results and I'm, I'm really excited to see it when they're all got their heads open, just big yellow field out there. It'll be really cool. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and one of your videos, you showed um, a tractor going through there too. So um, that's probably family, family as well. Yeah. Yeah. My family farms, uh, quite a few acres out there. So okay, getting equipment wasn't the hard part, but the hard part was, is if I did this like 30 years ago, all of the equipment would have been like the perfect size for this type of uh, food plot. Right. But now that like all the machinery is so much bigger and it just makes it hard to do little projects like this. They like, they don't have a little four or six row planter that I could have used to plant them in rows. So I had to broadcast them. <laughs> and with the seeds being so small, like I couldn't even hook up the spreader, like a three point spreader on the back of a tractor and drive it through because, but I mean, it's just not enough in that hopper to really make it all work. Mm. So, so where are they at now? I'm uh, as far as like the growth and, and some of the weeds you get going there. So like, last what's, I the, heard, what's the current situation? Yeah. Last I heard, um, let's see here. I've got a text message. It was just the other day. It was on Friday. So whatever date that was, um, the sunflowers are about three to four foot tall and the water hemp is two to three foot tall. <laughs> so I've got I've got a little bit of a water hemp issue in there, but I don't think it's going to be that big a deal. I'm really hoping that the sunflowers, when they grow a little taller and get their leaves get a little bigger, they'll kind of crowd out the water hemp and shade it out. Um, but you know, there's not much I can do about it. I can't spray for it. I can't control that weed without killing the flower that I'm growing. So. Um, not much I can do about it, but it's good to see growth. And when I zoom in on that picture they sent, I could see the heads just starting to form on the sunflowers. So I'd say here in a couple of weeks, and hopefully we get some rain soon, uh, we'll start to see some yellow popping up in that field. Awesome. That's always super cool to kind of do something to help, um, with, uh, the production of a hunt and all that. Right. Uh, you know, and, and at worst case, like you said, you're feeding the birds. So, um, best case you're, you're shooting doves and, and having a, you know, some, some great hunts there in, in September. So, um, that could be super cool. Hopefully it all, you know, keeps going like it is and, and, uh, pans out for you. Mm-hmm. I know I did, I actually did, um, a little bit in one of my places. I tried to plant duck, duck potato and like, it just didn't work at all. So I literally had none come up. So <laughs> that's a bummer. Um, I'm, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you're having more success than me. Well, it's um, easier but, to grow a flower than growing stuff in wetland <laughs> conditions, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, and especially like when you don't have the equipment and all that. That's a, a project I'd love to do as well where I, I can get some public or not public, private land and be able to drain or, or take the water level down mm-hmm. on a spot and do like millet or something like that. Um, but, you know, I don't have access for anything like that right now. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe someday. I'm I'm pretty excited about it because the location is 
it's it's a really good location for dove hunting. Uh, nice. There's some there was some public property uh, close by ish that I I went on my first dove hunt at, and man, that opening morning was insane out there. So I'm hoping, you know, kind of same same ish area. Hopefully, uh, just my little one acre field can attract some birds to make for some good hunting. But um, I'm I'm pretty excited to see where it goes because it could it's still really early i'm I'm just hoping that they put on some good seed heads and make for some good hunting but i'm also hoping to not only attract doves but also help the quail populations out there because the quail there's quail out there uh, few and far between but hopefully that helps out the quail a little bit gives them some food to eat throughout the the winter which i would love to go on a quail hunt but just with the numbers out there it just makes it tough to want to go and when you know you'll maybe see one or two coveys of like four to five birds. Like I'd, I'd like to see the right. population go up out there just to have some quail hunting opportunities. But as far as Definitely. the location of that field is concerned, it is like right next to a pond. And so I haven't talked about this at all on any videos. So if you're watching this right now or listening to it, uh, obviously uh, my plan is to do some management around that pond because Jordan, have you ever done any dove hunting on a pond? No, I've only done uh, ag fields. Dove hunting on a pond is so much fun. Uh, <laughs> they come in like ducks. Huh. I'm not kidding. Like I've seen some of your silage field hunts, and the du- doves come in like ducks. Just imagine that over water. Right. Yeah, it's be really cool. cool. So my plan is to get my weed whacker some use out there and really trim up all the grass around the edge, and then. Uh, just, just make it really dovey, you know, somewhere with like a bare mm-hmm. dirt bank where they're going to want to land, get a drink, and then hop over into the sunflower field. Like we're talking from the edge of the sunflower field to the pond is maybe like 40 yards. So nice. it's, it's a good yeah, that, spot. Yeah, that does sound about perfect. Yeah. And I'm also going to build a fake power line. <laughs> there you go. That, be, that should do it cool. too. It'll be cool. You have to keep some uh, dove decoys on the power line that's <laughs> your, the plan man on your fake power line that's the plan so i'm gonna use t-posts and conduit and some rope and hopefully that'll work i just i don't know how tall i can make it but hopefully it's a little taller than 10 foot that'd be nice nice awesome man looking forward to seeing those those videos coming this year it'll be cool so yeah let's let's go ahead and kind of hop to duck season so um Man, you're uh, you're always one to have a lot of plans and be going around uh, everywhere. So, what, what you got in store for this year? Well, my calendar's filling up by the day, man. Uh, I've got a lot of stuff planned, but the, I'd say like the most notable things is uh, I'm going to be bouncing up in Nebraska, of course, like I usually do. But I've got a North Dakota trip planned. So going to be going out there and doing that all over again. That that was really fun last time we did it, and it's just oh, yeah. such a neat place to go. Not necessarily because the duck hunting is really good, which we've had our, our fair share of rough days out there, right, Jordan? Definitely, yeah. Uh, it's not as easy as some people might make it out to be. I mean, blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then, but <laughs> it's just such a neat landscape, it just makes it really cool to go out there and hunt. So I, I really appreciate that landscape out there. But uh, other than that, I'm going to take my wife deer hunting 
and I've actually been invited on a special deer hunt that I'm pretty excited about, so more to come on that one. And I've also got a trip to hunt some cranes again, so I've got that on the calendar as well. So I'm pumped. It's just gonna it's gonna be a season like I've never had before. I'm gonna be traveling traveling a little bit more and um, just kind of going all over the place and doing doing what I want to do. I'm, I'm definitely gonna want to find some good honker hunts because I haven't gone on a big honker hunt in a long time. So I feel like Cora is at the point now to where we're going to be ready for those honker hunts. Last year, I was a little bit unsure. Every time she tried to retrieve a big honker, it did not go well, but she did really good with the snow geese. So hopefully we can get some good honker hunts. I'd love to get some water hunts for her for her first couple honker hunts, get her used to retrieving honkers. Um, but only time will tell. We'll see what happens. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You got, you kind of mentioned our, our North Dakota trip last year and um, that definitely was a super fun one. Um, getting out there, freelancing it. We'd both never been to North Dakota, so there was a lot we had to learn from um, the way they um, have the restrictions on the land, like the the private landowners marking it, um, and then they've started the electronic marking as well. And then, I mean, even through that, we learned um, different, you know, different uh, uh, tips and, and tactics to gain more access as well. So. Um, yeah, let's let's go through and kind of give some um, DIY uh, out of state uh, public land or private land, regardless uh, tips for people who are wanting to go and um, go on some type of uh, out of state duck hunt trip. I'd say don't set any expectations before you leave. That's that's a big one. Don't don't leave your house thinking you're going to the promised land of duck hunting. Because in my experience, every time I've gone on a trip, sometimes you have a good hunt. Sometimes it is brutal. So no matter where you go, uh, you can have good days and you can have bad days. And I would also say don't neglect your scouting uh, just because you want to be hunting because you're on a hunting trip. I think the biggest thing that you can do on a hunting trip is sacrifice a day or two. Like let's say you had five days, right? Five, five days to hunt and two days to travel, right? I would, I would set myself up to leave from work and start my drive to get there maybe midday on what would have been my original travel day, right? You know, if I left in the morning, I'd get there in time to, you know, settle in and then be ready to go the next day. So I would try to get there a little bit early if I could to maybe get an evening of scouting in. But when you first get there, just start dropping waypoints on Onyx. Don't worry about anything else. Just start driving around, find out where the birds are, because you never know what's going to be around the next corner. Um, Definitely. And also, before you leave, get on satellite imagery. Use it. Get Onyx. It is the biggest tool you could use for an out-of-state trip, just to know where private land ownership is and public land and all that. Um, And just kind of... Mark places that you want to go look at. You know, you're looking at the satellite. You're like, ooh, here's a chunk of public ground, and it's got quite a bit of water on it. I'm going to check that out when I get there and just see what's going on. So those are some good tips right there. Um, don't be – yeah, yeah. Don't, don't think that you're going to be hunting every day. 
you could. You could hunt in the morning, scout in the evening, and wash, rinse, repeat. But in my experience, there's been days where you can go, you'll find a hunt, you'll hunt, you'll scout, you won't find a hunt. And then you got to take the next day. Don't don't just go, go in blindly. Go find that next hunt. Give yourself the best hunting opportunities you can. Yeah, and to add on kind of the scouting there, um, one thing to make sure is um, that you just don't hunt yourself to – complete exhaustion right mm-hmm. uh leave time to to end the hunt and get out there on that next scout because you know if you have a hunt and you're just maybe the whole group or you you personally are are shy of your limit and you know everybody wants to shoot a limit but like at the end of the day it's really not the end of the world if you don't shoot a limit right so um and maybe if you stayed longer you would but then again the next day if you if you do an all-day hunt i mean you probably without any scouting you're probably not gonna um, get on the birds the next day the way you want. And it's like you said, around the next corner, there could be, you know, um, that double water feed with ducks, geese, and all, you know, whatever it is. And, and you got a water and a field feed combo and and something cool you could find on the scout, and especially going to a place like North Dakota where um, there is, you, you do really never know what's what's around the corner. So, um, you know, don't be afraid to, to quit your hunt a little early, get on the scouting, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be the whole group. Um, you can take turns with different people in your group cutting out and going to find or start the scout for the next day, um, and get things rolling because the scouting is, is, uh, super important, especially if you're not from the area. Definitely. And having good lodging makes a big difference too. I've done my fair share of hunts out of hotels and Airbnbs. And honestly, having a kitchen where you're staying is really nice. It's it's super convenient because then you're not having to chase down food or try and cook something in a hotel room. So I highly recommend trying to find Airbnbs or uh, different places with cooking amenities. Right. And when you're going to some of these areas that have, you know, that are known for uh, DIY freelance duck hunters coming that way. Um, you can find some really cool ones. And like you said, you're going on North Dakota trip, uh, and I'm going on one as well this year. And, um, you know, it, it pays to kind of be ahead of the curve too on reservations, you know, even at this time, you know, um, there's some that are booked out, I mean, for the whole season already. And those are the really cool, really good ones. You look at it and it looks like a lodge and it's set up for, you know, a group coming in and all that. It's like, man, I would have loved to get, get on one of those. So, you know, if you know, you're doing it and you got your whole group ready to go ahead of time, um, you know, get on that early. So you can get, you know, um, one of those prime locations. I even saw one that had like hundreds of acres of private land access for hunting too. If you rented the Airbnb and I was like, man, that one was actually booked for the whole season. And we're talking like, I looked, you know, and that's like four months ahead of time. So, uh, that's pretty pretty crazy. And then kind of continuing on the OnX, you know, you talked about OnX. One thing we found out, too, um, with the, um, what was it called? The lock, the electronic posting that they have out there. Um, this is, I mean, this I feel like this is a pro secret tip because I didn't figure it out right away. And maybe there's, there's a lot of people who've already figured it out. But sometimes they have a phone number. Right there, and you can see it on OnX, or you can walk up to the signs, and the signs have a phone number, which um, I didn't realize till I think probably more than halfway through our trip. 
uh, that there was sometimes phone numbers attached to the signs or that. And like, we, we you know, we did get some permission from being able to call somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't even think we ended up hunting that spot, no. but we did call and get permission. We went somewhere else. So, but if we would have known that ahead of time, maybe earlier in the week, that would have been an option for us when we're, um, kind of struggling right through the freeze up and, and, the the, t- the change and, um, the weather and all that, that, that kind of threw us for a loop, um, right there. So <laughs> it's pretty cool. I've never seen that before. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. Any other, uh, any other tips or do you think we should go ahead and wrap, wrap up this segment? Uh, I, I think another tip for an out of state trip is come prepared. It, probably goes without saying but prepare with clothing and whatnot but (laughs) be ready for whatever you're going to encounter whether it be mud flats with three inches of water and six inches of muck or you're hunting fields or ponds like you just bring the gear that will cover all of your bases for wherever you're going to hunt whether it's a field a pond river lake you name it, right? Like you brought that canoe on our trip to North Dakota. And honestly, that kind of made a couple of these hunts that we went on possible because without that canoe, right. not a chance. Or Yeah. And, and the thing is you're either, if you don't have something like that. And I, I was um, thinking that too, man, that canoe was awesome. I have to give my buddy Kevin props because he's the one that said, Hey, you need to bring, you need to bring a canoe out there. It's like, man, they're potholes. You can walk around, but it's like, it's a time saver. It's a back saver. It's a sweat saver um, because we were able to certain landowners, Oh, drive down this drive. You're right on the lake. Well, the the wind's wrong for that side. So now I'm going to have to hike across mm-hmm. around this five acre pothole to the other side through cattails, carrying the gear uh, and then set up, or we can just take the canoe, push it in there. We had something to kind of keep our gear, our, our gear dry. That was, you know, in the cattails with us, mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, if you're going to North Dakota, I feel like a canoe, um, is probably one of the most superior, um, <laughs> things you can bring for, for water access. Josh, Josh, uh, <laughs> laughing because you know, my uh, tendencies to <laughs> say stuff like that, but, yeah. um, but I mean, that's, I truly do believe that, you know, and especially with stuff like that in a farm where you don't have like the boat access, if you have like, you know, a boat ramp access, then yeah, like there's some other options that are um, pretty comparable, but like out there, it's a lot of like walking in or um, really not like boat ramps to uh, these potholes. Primitive access. I would say primitive. There you go. That's a good way of saying it. I'm bringing the layout boats this year. (laughs) That'll be fun though. You'll have to work to get those in, but that'll be a fun way to do it. I think it'll be good. It just depends on if I can get, the boat's close to the water because if i gotta haul that thing a hundred yards it's not happening right i'll throw 60 right. that's the one over you my just, shoulder and start walking yeah that's the ones you just walk into but when you can get right next to it like the the one we went to mm-hmm. you could have you know it was like you know 40 yards through the cattails maybe even a little less we were right there on the edge of the cattails but you just get on that thing start pushing and pulling you know have you know work on them two at a time and then you know walk your gear back and forth and then you have a really cool hide too, and a really good way to hide um, in the cattails, and and that's like your one hundred percent like perfect concealment. So I know in the cattails, it seemed like last year we could get away with it pretty well, but there's no doubt. I mean, my my mind is always you know con- concealment is king, and uh, 
that we sure would have got some more of those mallards to commit, you know. Um, but there's, you know, there's a lot to choose from out there. So <laughs> and it keeps you out um, of the beaver runs. Right. You right. Remember those beaver runs? <laughs> I'm trying to remember now that you're saying it. When we were hunting coral. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. 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 That was rough. You go from two <laughs> foot of water to four foot of water in one step. Yep. Were those from beavers or muskrats? They're beavers. Hmm. I don't think a muskrat would burrow out that much. I don't know. Yeah. Or I bet a, a trapper might know, but <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. They both I mean they both make like huts, right? So definitely. Alrighty, well, um something that's probably, you know, shook up your world a little bit out in Kansas, and we've been hearing a lot of noise from Kansas this year, trying to shake things up. Um <laughs> And uh, some, I'm sure some people are happy and some people aren't. So, um, But I did hear a pretty good take from Sean Weaver, and uh, he's been on the podcast a couple times. Pretty cool, cool dude, and I think he has a really good take on this. So I actually asked him if I could share it on the podcast. So we're going to go in ahead and share that and um, give you guys a little bit of a listen to his take on it. And, yeah, here we go. All right, people. So Kansas is proposing non-resident waterfowl restrictions uh, on the days you can hunt public land. The new rule proposed would restrict non-residents to only hunting on public Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Wednesday through Saturday is resident only. Initially, they wanted this to be KDWP land only. Now they're also pushing for um, anything that they manage that's fed land, I believe, Fish and Wildlife Service, Bureau of Reclamation, and Corps of Engineers. Apparently, according to their own testimony on YouTube, I'll link it, uh, they have support from the feds on this, and the only thing the feds are worried about is the verbiage and the the wording, particularly not to inhibit boating access for non-residents, but they're fine with it inhibiting hunting access on federal land. Uh, Once again, this is just another threat to public opportunity, in my opinion. Now, let me just say... If this is the route the state of Kansas wants to go and the residents of Kansas want to go, fine. That's the prerogative of their state, especially with the state managed lands or the, you know, the state owned lands. I think you get a little into the weeds when you start restricting federal lands for non-residents. But, um, you know, this is ultimately the, the residents of Kansas decision. But what I really don't understand here is this whole limiting of supply. Like non-resident waterfowl licenses should follow a supply and demand curve just like any other product. When there's too much demand for your product and not enough supply, what do you do? You raise the price. I don't care if you're an electrician or sell a decoy salesman or a uh, pooper scooper. When there's not enough supply, you raise the price. When there's too much demand, you raise the price. And frankly, there's not a lot of evidence that there is too much demand. I mean, 2021 was ranked, I think, 15th for non-resident waterfowl license sales out of the last 30 years for the state of Kansas. Um, What I actually think this is going to do is push more non-residents onto those areas, the select three days, and then push them onto private land and potentially federal land the other four days of the week. It's kind of like during the cerveza sickness, when they restricted the supermarkets. 
You had supermarkets that were open 24 hours a day and all of a sudden like, wait, you can only go into these 10 hours a day. How did that make any sense? You put more people into those spots in 10 hours instead of letting them be spread out over 24 hours. Well, that's exactly what you're going to do here. You are going to force more people in a closer proximity in a shorter amount of time. All the non-residents are going to go hunt during those three days instead of being spread out over seven days. Likewise, they're all going to go hunt private land those other four days instead of being spread out. And they're probably going to use guide services to do so, which will increase the cost of those leases for private land um, beyond what they, they had been. I just don't understand how creating like this time slot scarcity decreases pressure. And I don't see how that helps the local Kansas freelance hunter. Wouldn't a better solution to be jack up non-resident Kansas waterfowl license prices, take the proceeds, take the profit, and reinvest that in resident-only walk-in area programs where only residents can go hunt this private land that's been leased with the extra proceeds from non-resident waterfowl license sales. Uh, Personally, I'd pay a lot more money for a Kansas non-resident waterfowl license. And I think that's a lot better system than ultimately converging people in certain time periods. Um, You know, the guide operations seem pretty quiet on this one, as I think it's going to surely push business to them. And also, it'll increase demand for that private land access and create more pay-to-play. You know, some of these places are $50 a gun a day, $100 a gun a day, and... uh, you know, I think if I think if non-residents don't have access to public, they're going to be willing to go spend the money on their trip on that private land, creating even harder private land access for Kansas residents. Ultimately, though, uh, I'm a non-resident. I don't have any say in this. Kansas residents, this one's up to you. And whether you agree with me or don't agree with me, you should go to the meeting on August 17th. Uh, they're going to present the final verbiage on this. August 17th, and you should go speak your voice. Uh, I could be dead wrong on this. You might agree with me on this. But I think a lot more can be done with pricing and revenue generation before it comes to this specific restriction. I think there's ways to grow opportunity rather than inhibit opportunity. Uh, Anyway, go to the meeting, speak your voice. Thanks for coming to my duck talk. Alrighty, so definitely an interesting take there. I think a pretty good. I think a spot on and on pretty much. I I couldn't agree more with pretty much every point um, he made on there. But you know, I'm going to throw it to you, Josh, because um, you are a Kansas resident, so you do have you do have more say in it, you, you know, than than uh, you know out of staters for sure. Okay, this is a big subject. Um, I've I've got. I guess let, let's take a step back couple of years right sure when i was in college up until i think i graduated in 2019 i would go hunting before class on tuesday thursday wednesday like just middle of the week hunt right and more often than not there was maybe one other guy out there maybe two tops on that whole wildlife area um small sample size you know only a couple different areas right I would say since then, I have seen a huge uptick in 
the amount of people that I see hunting on weekdays. Okay. And in that same time frame, basically ever since the start of COVID, right? Everybody started working from home and, you know, everybody had some extra time to go travel and do things they liked, right? Because they could just work off their phone or go to college on Zoom and go all across the country doing what they want to do. Um, I've seen personally a higher number of non-resident hunters at the wildlife areas that I hunt ever since then. There was times this year where I'd go out on a Thursday, right? It used to be, you know, by myself, maybe one other guy in the marsh. The whole place had like five to six different groups hunting it on a Thursday morning. Uh, so I, I can vouch that the data may not say that there were more non-resident licenses sold, but as a firsthand observer, I can honestly say that I have seen more non-resident plates in the parking lots at the places that I learned how to hunt at and continuously to hunt at, you know? So I can say that I have noticed a bit more out of state hunting pressure at the wildlife areas that I hunt. Now, last year was unique because this past season, Cheyenne Bottoms, which is the biggest waterfowl management area in the state of Kansas had zero water. You, you could go out to bottoms on opening day of teal season and not find a place to park your truck and everybody's still shooting limits. Okay. Bottoms was dry. And I think what happened this past season is it pushed all of those people from out of state that would have gone to hunt the bottoms. It pushed them into other wildlife areas that are much smaller. Kansas is, I believe, like only 2% public land. A very tiny amount of that land is actually waterfowl hunting areas. The rest is CRP or woodland areas that are not anywhere that you would go hunt ducks. So we, I think the biggest issue is that there's a lot of people that want to come here to hunt ducks because frankly, we have good hunting opportunities for ducks. We get good migrations. We hold good numbers. We're right on the ice line. It's just, we, we've got ducks, right? So people want to come hunt them. The issue is we don't have enough public areas for waterfowl hunting to accommodate the amount of people that want to waterfowl hunt. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yep. And so when it comes to this subject with restricting non-resident hunting to Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, when I first heard it, I was like, whoa, that's a big move. I like the sounds of that. But when I sat on that and thought about what the repercussions of that would be, I'm starting to kind of think that this is not the route that we want to go. So... I'm going to do my best to make it to the commission meetings and uh, make make this voice present. And I know that there's other people in the state that are going to be very vocal about this. Yes, it's going to help outfitters, but it's also going to hurt the very small amount of wildlife areas that we do have to hunt. So... It's an issue, and I don't think this is the way to solve it. You can come to Kansas 
out of state and hunt ducks for the whole season, have a license that will last you for the whole season for under $200. If you want to come here and hunt deer, you have to draw in for a deer tag and you're going to pay hundreds of dollars for that one deer tag. So it's a big issue. There's going to need to be a lot of discussion about this. And I think there's going to be a lot of pushback from the public. And I agree with everything that Sean said in that video, because quite frankly, I I, I don't know if it's going to divert anybody from coming here to hunt ducks. It's just going to concentrate them and then push them out to other areas, making it harder for people who, you you know, you, you always hear the stories about these guys who, have been able to hunt these areas on private land for years and years and years. And then outfitter swoops in, leases it out. They can't hunt it anymore. Now I, I just, I don't know if that would happen with out of state hunters, but I do know that there's a lot of out of state landowners here. Um, and I know that there's a lot of people that come from money and they have a lot of money and they have disposable income to spend on, the things that they enjoy, which more power to you. If I, if I had that opportunity, I would totally do it. So I don't blame them one bit, but I think it would make private land access much more difficult. And I think that the private land owners would not necessarily appreciate that. I would, I would anticipate a much higher increase in the amount of visitors that come by to talk to them about hunting their ground. So that would in turn lead to either them asking you to pay them to hunt their ground or they just say flat out say just no hunting. I'm tired I'm tired of people coming to ask me to hunt. Um uh, it's yeah. it's it's an issue that needs to be discussed and I'm I'm curious to see where this goes. Kansas seems to be making some very bold and I would I would say not particularly well-received decisions from the public, uh, whether it be residents and non-residents. So I'm, right. I'm curious to see what the commission does. If you guys don't know, um, a lot of this stuff starts at the commission level, then it gets kicked through legislature. So um, the commission meetings are where they've been talking about these, and it's a board that's appointed by the governor. And... Uh, they're the ones who basically put it up to a vote amongst themselves. If it gets a majority, they get to moving it through legislation. So that's kind of my little bit of knowledge on that. But it's an issue. I have seen overcrowding on public land over the past couple of years, and it has led to ducks going nocturnal. It's led to areas that historically were fairly productive areas to go hunt on your Saturday, being bluebird sky not a duck in sight so um yeah yeah my i'll I'll give you a little bit of my take on i feel like you know if you if you restrict it to four days um like i have no problem with going on a duck hunting trip this four days it's like two days of travel and four days to hunt that's that's plenty you know what i mean for an out-of-state um trip i don't think you know it's like oh most people probably take a week right Mm -hmm. um or maybe maybe a little bit longer long weekend um but Right, right. You know, and so it's like, okay, so you just shift it to um, those four days. And it's like you said, that just really, really increases 
everybody being in the marsh at the same time. So after those four days, you really think the other three days are going to be worth that much unless you have like a cold front that happens to be on those three days. Mm-hmm. Um, then all those ducks are going to be stout birds by the time the residents get those three days to hunt. So it seems kind of like an odd, an odd choice to try to restrict it that way. Um, and then do like, like uh, Sean mentioned with uh, um, the increased competition. I mean, it's, if, if people are, are willing to do that and then potentially if they want longer, they can get a three-day guided trip um, from Outfitters. So the Outfitters, you know, and I'm not against Outfitters. I, you know, I, I think out, Outfitters are an, an important part of duck hunting um, as well. So there's nothing against them. But it will benefit them um, in a way that increases um, pressure on on the private land. So it could be, um, you know, it just could be harder for the Kansas residents to, you know, either maintain uh, those permissions they have or, you know, something along those lines. So I don't know. It's definitely, you know, if the Kansas residents are seeing an increase and there's so many other, other, you know, factors going into it, like COVID and like uh, the bottoms being completely dry and all that, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's like uh, Sean said, is their prerogative to, to do something to benefit um, the people that live in that state, they pay the taxes and all that. I, I guess the one point, you know, that he did touch on too, which seems a little odd to me would be if they restrict federal land, which um, everybody, you know, pays on federal land. It, it is in Kansas, but it is federal land. So that one seems one that um, I, I feel like, you know, as, as hunters, we do have to protect our rights um, and I, I feel like everybody should have the right to to federal land. Well, here's the thing. I've, I've got a couple of points here to make. Uh, sure. So have you ever gone out on a hunt to a spot that you've hunted for years and years and years? And almost every time you go to that particular spot, there's almost no competition. Have you ever had one of those spots, Jordan? Mm, not so much in Indiana. Okay. Well, <laughs> I can understand. Just like like a a spot that it's not very big and sure. it just doesn't see as much pressure as some of the bigger areas might. Do you know how devastating it is to roll up down that gravel drive getting into that parking lot to see four or five trucks there knowing that those spots can really <laughs> only hold two groups? Right, right. And you know that these guys are just going to pack in like sardines. That's that's one of the issues with the Kansas waterfowl areas that I have experience with is they're not big. These pools, you know, some of them you can fit four or five, six groups in, but some of them, it, let me put it this way. I've been peppered by somebody sitting across of it from, on the other, uh, other side of the bank shooting ducks. Mm. They're not big. And so that that's part of the problem is we just don't have enough area for the people who want to take advantage of the opportunities that we have here. Um, right. And I think that's another great point that Sean made. I mean, I think that any, if any increased revenue they can get needs to go straight towards um, more areas. But I feel like the way that the government is nowadays and all that's set up that that money, nobody's going to know where it goes. Mm-hmm. It's not going to go back to, to waterfowl and, it's almost like there's less and less access everywhere. And you even see in states where it's like they don't care to push the water to the places that need it 
for waterfowl, you know, and it's not just like a Kansas thing. I've seen that in plenty of other states mm-hmm. as well, where it's like, hey, and we've had drought-like conditions over the last, you know, handful of years across the country. You know, luckily we're we're past that somewhat now, hopefully. I don't know what you guys are in Kansas, but, um, you know, but it's like that stuff needs to be redirected. So even if they do come up with some type of legislation, it's like, you know, it really needs to be followed through and, you know, give, like, buy more land. Like, let's, let's, let's have the state of Kansas for the residents take that money and buy more land. That'd be nice. Well, here's another thing. Back in the day, uh, not that long ago, less than 10 years ago, I'd say, or eh, probably right around 10 years ago. Well, actually, hold on. Back it up a little bit. A couple years ago, Kansas started their, they, they changed up the way that they do their licenses. So it used to be that you bought a license for the calendar year. But a couple years ago, they made the licenses 365-day licenses. So let's say you're an out-of-state hunter coming in to hunt in the middle of November. You buy your license. That license is good 365 days from the day that you buy it. So if you want to come to Kansas again in teal season, all you need is your stamps and you're good to go. Okay? The other thing is is that they got rid of one-day hunting licenses and three-day hunting licenses, and I think they had a five-day hunting license. So your only option for buying a hunting license in Kansas is a one-year license. Right. So people are probably trying to make the most of it and come back and use it again, right? Whereas, like, if they were just going to hunt that one week, maybe they buy the five-day license and they're done. Correct. So I don't know if that adds to this issue or not. But I will say that out-of-state hunters, they are hardcore. They're there to hunt. And when they hunt, they're there from sunrise to sunset or until they shoot their limited birds. Uh, but, you know, th- there's a lot of really good groups that come in from out-of-state. I don't want to talk bad on anybody that comes here to hunt. But I have noticed that when people do come from out-of-state – they're more likely to do things that maybe they wouldn't do back at home, I would say. Because I've heard stories of people walking dikes and just swatting coots. I've, I've actually seen people just marching through the marsh, just, just kicking up birds and shooting them, which that's not safe. You never know who's on the other side of that dike uh, or hiding in the cattails or whatever. Um, but there's, I've, I've heard stories of people... Um, like this past season, I talked to a guy. He said, well, there's this group here from Florida, and they were standing on the dike shooting birds at 60 yards, and they're just popping. Sh- just it wasn't hunting. It wasn't, it wasn't your traditional duck hunt. Now, if that's the way you want to hunt, you have the right to do so. But as far as the resource is concerned, it's not really very good for the resource to use it that way. So the ducks need a place to rest. They need, for these areas that we do have to, for them to produce good hunts, people need to not be there for a little while, right? The ducks need to go in there Definitely, and think, yeah. hey, this is a good place to be. They leave, they come back. That's how that's how it works. Otherwise, you're just going to encounter a marsh where the ducks are flying 60 yards up, nothing commits because they're going over to private ground. They'll come in, 
five minutes after shooting time, load that thing up, eat on it all night, and leave right first thing in the morning because there's so much pressure. I've seen it. It happens every single year. Now, is it because of -of out-of-state pressure? I don't know. Is it because of the weather and the moon phase? It could be, but it could just be everything all encompassed together. So I guess to tie things up in a nice little package here is I want everybody to have an opportunity to come here. I don't want to restrict the days that they can come because if I go out of state, I don't want to be restricted on the days that I can hunt, right? Because what can happen here is if this passes, other states would see this and say, hey, that's not a bad idea, and they'll take it up. And so now not only is my state doing it, Oklahoma's doing it, Missouri's doing it, Nebraska's doing it, Michigan's doing it. And all that does is just ruin the amount of opportunities for all waterfowlers to get to experience these really cool places around the country and get to say to their kids, telling them stories about their rock star trip to Cheyenne Bottoms that they hunted out there for a week straight and they had a great time. That's what it boils down to. We have an issue. It's a land issue. It's not a people issue. We just don't have enough waterfowl management areas that are public ground in the state of Kansas to accommodate the amount of people that want to come here. Definitely. Yep. Couldn't have said it better myself. Definitely agree with you on all that. So um, it will be interesting to watch and and see what they come up with. And I hope that it's, a, a, you know, in the long run, it's a good outcome for waterfowl hunters. And, you know, it is... It's in Kansas now, but it is a, you know, it is a countrywide um, issue, I would say. It's not just because you're far and distant from it. It can be in a, a domino effect. Um, and I do think that, you know, what you mentioned with the land issue, it's never been a time where there's been, you know, more farms that are big operation ran farms, which pushes more people to public land, whether it's in state or out of state, Um and it is a land issue. And, and I think that, that waterfowl as a whole, like we need to have more, you know, public land access because that's just, honestly, that's going to be the way of the future, in my opinion, for duck hunting to thrive. So, and I, I really don't have um, a game plan <laughs> per se, but I, you know, I hope that, you know, uh, we can learn through these issues as duck hunters and the duck hunting community and the people that create the leg- legislation for, for all this and that it all ends up going in a good direction, you know, for the future of waterfowl hunting? Well, all I can say is that if anybody listening to this is a resident of this state, um, this is a big issue. Uh, whether you're for this or against this, uh, we, we just, we need to figure out how to accommodate the people that want to come here to hunt. And I don't think that this is the route to go about doing it. And it's only going to be handled by level heads and good quality conversations. So that, that's my take on it. I, I, I'm hoping for the best. I hope this isn't the first domino to fall. And I'm really hoping that this isn't going to cause a decline in duck hunting number, duck hunter numbers, which 
apparently, despite what I've seen, duck hunting duck hunter numbers are down, which I don't I, I don't understand where those numbers come from because where I hunt, I see tons of people duck hunting. So um, just in the grand scheme of things, they say, oh, we want more duck hunters, but we're going to restrict access. It doesn't quite add up. It does, the, the goal that is trying to be accomplished, it's con, the, these two things are contradicting themselves. So it's, it's a big conversation, and I don't want this to just get zipped through into legislature without hearing it from the public. Definitely. All righty, Josh. Well, we're, we're rolling past the hour mark, so I think this is probably a good place to go ahead and and wrap up but i really appreciate you jumping on here it's uh always fun catching up um and you know uh everything we talked about tonight so one more uh, you got any uh closing words one, one more thing I'm, I'm reading these live stream comments uh somebody's <laughs> sure. talking about a lottery system would work better than limiting days so uh kansas does a lottery system for their deer licenses or their deer tags i don't i don't think it's a bad idea but I don't, I don't know how South Dakota does that and uh, how that affects them for good or for worse. But I, I do want to say, I do not want to see Kansas turn into Missouri with a draw-in hunt system. I don't want to have to go pull a pill, stand in line, and hope my number gets drawn at 4 o'clock in the morning so then I can go hunt. I, I don't want to have that happen. I, if I'm going hunting, I'm going hunting. If I got to bump elbows, so be it. But I don't want to roll up to the marsh, drive in a couple hours to not have my number drawn, and I got to drive home. It's a right. horrible system. Yeah, it, it produces good hunts. The pressure is regulated, but as for opportunity and keeping hunting numbers up, it's not a good system. I mean, right. I, I heard, I talked to somebody the other day. They said, yeah, for like three weekends in a row, Saturday, Sunday, they went in, pulled their pill, didn't get drawn in. I'd, I'd pack up and go somewhere else. Like, I, I would not <laughs> hunt in Missouri if that was the case. Like, three weekends in a row, six days total that I woke up early to go hunting and my number didn't get drawn, I'm going somewhere yeah. else. Yep, and that's you know that's a, a a system that's used. I mean, not in just Missouri. I mean, California, Indiana, Michigan, a, a lot of different places use it. And um, again, it takes away from the true freelance opportunity because a, a lot of those places you draw in, and then you have to go to this specific blind and hunt the specific area where you got drawn. It's not like it takes away from the scouting and I did it myself. It's like, well, no, I sit here and these birds just happen to be here too. Yeah. What, you know, I, what I get is gotta, what I get. You know, right. Right. You know, and, and that takes away from the true freelance duck hunting style of, uh, of hunting, you know, mm-hmm. um, where you're going in there, you're figuring it out for yourself. You're doing the scouting. You're like, Oh, this is the best place to hide. And that's like true duck hunting going and sitting in a pre-made blind that a, you know, a group of volunteers, you know, great, great. I'm glad we have volunteers and, and those systems for those areas, but that's just, it's just not the same um, as the public land experience. You know, it's more similar to maybe like a private land setup hunt, you know? Um, so yeah, there's definitely, you don't want to see that coming, but it all bounces back to the same thing. We need, we just need more land. And then those issues go away in every state. Mm-hmm. For sure. 
that's well, you ruined you ruined my outro, so I'll do it again. Okay. So, all right, I, I, <laughs> dude, when kidding. we're talking about this kind of stuff, it gets me all fired up. I, I just get going. Man. <laughs> I know, yeah, for sure. Well, any closing words, Josh? Again for uh, for the podcast, subscribe to Duck Gun Chronicles. <laughs> Thank you, and subscribe to Outdoor Limits. Leave a rating on this podcast uh, if you haven't already. <laughs> Drop a like on the Alrighty, YouTube folks. Do do all the above. Follow Jordan I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. <laughs> Josh from Outdoor Limits, and we'll see you guys on the next one.